Okay, we're going to start with a word of prayer. Lord, thanks for the good day that You've been pleased to give to us. We're grateful for that. We thank You for the opportunities to serve You day by day, and we're particularly grateful for the opportunity and the privilege we have of serving You as we gather together on this day as Your people to worship You. We pray that as we enter into Your presence with thanksgiving and into Your courts with praise, that we will meet with You to hear Your Word and to receive Your blessing and benediction. We pray that You'll be pleased to so work in our hearts that when we depart from our time of worship this morning, that we will have been changed uh, by you, uh, we pray that this would be the case. So uh, grant us your grace, we ask. And as we uh, have uh, time to uh, look into your word uh, this morning, uh, in this class on uh, the subject of worship, we pray that you'll uh, be pleased to bless and strengthen us. Uh, help us in our understanding, we pray. And uh, open our eyes and open our ears that we might uh, better serve you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in the midst of uh, uh, talking about uh, worship. We're uh, actually more in the midst of talking about elements of worship. And we've uh, last time we uh, talked about the, the element of praise and uh, psalmody. Uh, all of this under the overall heading uh, of the principle uh, of uh, uh, worship as we understand it in the Bible that uh, whatever is not commanded by God is forbidden. And uh, so we're, we're picking away at this. And uh, it, it takes a little bit of time to uh, connect the dots and put the pieces together. And uh, since uh, part of the principle of uh, worship is that worship has dramatically changed as a result of the coming of Christ, uh, that is, uh, when... Uh, uh, Christ came, uh, as the writer to the Hebrews says uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, He did away with the first, that is, uh, the Old Testament sacrifices, uh, in, in order to uh, set forth properly and establish the second, which was His own uh, sacrifice for sin. And uh, so all of, the, all of these Old Testament ceremonies are are done away with. And uh, so the question then comes, well, uh, why do we continue to sing psalms? You, you crazy people, you just don't quite understand, do you? you <laughs> uh, why do you continue to sing psalms? And uh, our, uh, our point is that God commands us uh, uh, to sing psalms, and uh, we've spent the last couple of weeks on uh, Colossians 3.16, uh, especially among other texts to... Uh, attempt to validate that, and uh, the other the other aspect of uh, this is that uh, the instrumental music that accompanied or was part of the old ceremonial worship is uh, also done away with, and there are uh, several features uh, to this, and uh, the main thing I want to uh, uh, bear down on. Uh, this morning is uh, the instruments uh, that were uh, 
part of the sacrificial worship of Israel. And uh, uh, those instruments were uh, two silver trumpets uh, that were ordained by God through Moses, and then harps and lyres and cymbals that were ordained by God uh, through David. And uh, so uh, this morning I want to take a look at the idea of the trumpets and uh, uh, what they mean. We're not using, in our circles anyway, we're not using trumpets, right? And uh, in our circles anyway, we're not using stringed instruments. Uh, So uh, if these are done away with, what what was their meaning? What was their purpose? What was uh, the genius behind uh, these uh, instruments? Uh, And I think understanding this helps us to understand why uh, we don't utilize these uh, instruments, at least in our circles, we don't utilize these instruments in uh, public worship. All right, And uh, uh, I remind everyone that, that uh, we're talking about public worship here, corporate public worship, uh, that my emphasis is not uh, family worship or my emphasis is not private worship. It's corporate public worship. And uh, part of the reason I'm going there, I go there, I do go there, is that uh, the analogy that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament makes is with the temple. We are the temple of the living God, 2 Corinthians 6.16. We are being built up as spiritual stones uh, into a, a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The analogy is the temple. Uh, and uh, we have to continuously keep this in mind. So we're going back to the idea of the temple and the instrumentation in the temple and in the uh, uh, corporate worship of Israel. Okay, uh, as we get started here, I want to tell you a little story. Uh, Some of you may be amused at this. Uh, Some of you may not be. That's fine. It's it's all right. (laughs) But... Uh, 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 what, what has bubbled up in our classes over, over these weeks is uh, uh, the idea that, uh, well, uh, what, what you're trying to do, uh, Professor Prudhoe, is uh, cut off our unity and fellowship with other Christians. And uh, I say, no, 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 that's not my, that's not my idea. Uh, at all, uh, because I don't think uh, our, our standards on worship cut us off from fellowship in worship, uh, fellowship with other Christians, any, any more than uh, uh, our doctrine of predestination or our doctrine of baptism or uh, several other doctrines that we could talk about that are classically held among Reformed Christians. Uh, so I, I, I very much disagree w- with this idea. And uh, to illustrate this point, uh, I have uh, told people, uh, guess what? Uh, I have a son-in-law who... uh, uh, (laughs) My wife and I laugh because uh, my wife and I were a couple of his first seminary uh, instructors. (laughs) Poor man. (laughs) Poor poor man. Uh, just, Just the way it is. Uh, but uh, he, uh, 
he's a, a minister in the Evangelical Free Church. And uh, uh, my daughter uh, met him in college, and they were married when uh, they were in college. But at any rate, he's a, he's a minister in the Evangelical Free Church, and they live in uh, Rapid City, uh, South Dakota, right near Mount Rushmore and all, all of that stuff. It's a very, very beautiful country. And uh, we love to uh, go and visit with them. Well, uh, uh, in his church, he's, a, he's an associate pastor in his church, which is a Bible church, and uh, he's the minister of the music, uh, or whatever you might want to call it. He's, in other words, he's the worship leader in the congregation. And uh, so... Uh, uh, he he plays a guitar and you know he he does all the all the regular uh, contemporary worship that is done in uh, many churches uh, across our land. Okay, and uh, uh, he's a, a dear Christian brother, and uh, uh, my daughter, who's married to him, is also a Christian. And uh, we often have fellowship with them. Hello! <laughs> uh, uh, just because he happens to be the, the minister of music in, in uh, this other church and uh, uh, holds to a, a different standard of worship uh, than I do, doesn't mean that we don't have fellowship with them. Of course we have fellowship with them. We have close fellowship with them. And uh, they call us to pray for them on various occasions, and and uh, we talk to them and and call them to pray on us for on various occasions. But he respects our uh, views with regard to worship, and uh, we uh, when we go to church there, uh, we kind of go a little bit, but uh, we uh, we go to church with them, and uh, we we have fellowship with them. Uh, there's not broken fellowship because we happen to. Uh, hold a different standard of worship than they do. And uh, this turns out to be a pretty intimate family uh, situation and circumstance. So so I I disagree with this idea that uh, our standards as far as worship uh, cut us off from fellowship uh, with other other Christians. Uh, uh, Here's another great example of the fact that our standards of worship do not cut us off from uh, fellowship with other Christians. Uh, guess who we had uh, in our evening worship uh, here several weeks ago? Uh, do you remember? I don't remember his uh, his first name. Uh, uh, Pastor Bump, you remember that? He gave he gave a uh, a uh, a report on his his uh, ministry to. Uh, men that are coming out of prison, you remember that? Okay, and uh, we, we were glad to hear of his ministry, and we were glad to hear of uh, what uh, he's doing. And uh, he he was glad to come and have fellowship with us. And Pastor Ferris, after the service, went up and uh, put his arm around uh, this fellow and hugged him and prayed for him. See, uh, this fellow. Uh, if I have my story straight, is an Assemblies of God uh, minister. Okay, Far different than uh, our standard of worship. But he loves Jesus Christ, and we embrace him as a brother. And uh, so we, we need to keep these things in mind, you see. All right? 
so uh, uh, just wanted to give you a little bit of encouragement along this line. Probably took, took too much time uh, uh, there. Uh, okay, uh, so we're going to look at Moses' trumpets first of all. Uh, God ordained two silver trumpets uh, through Moses and uh, to, to be utilized in uh, the tabernacle and then uh, in the temple. And uh, the text is Numbers 10, 1 and 2. Numbers 10, 1 and 2. The Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, Make for yourself two trumpets of silver, of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camp set out. Uh, so these two silver trumpets uh, were made uh, uh, principally for various types of announcements. That's what what the trumpets uh, were made for. And they were ordained by God, and God uh, commanded them uh, to be made. And uh, we go down to verse 10 uh, to see their uh, use uh, in the worship of ancient Israel. Verse 10 in Numbers 10. Also in the day of your gladness and on your, in your appointed feast and on the days of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings. See, here's how the, the trumpets were used. The priest would stand next to the altar uh, with the trumpets and they would blow the trumpets as an announcement over the burnt offering. Now you realize uh, that all of these things in uh, the Old Testament uh, tabernacle had uh, uh, some some kind of of symbolic significance. I mean, th- 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 this is why all these rituals were originally ordained. Uh, this was part of it, and uh, so these trumpets are blown over the sacrifices. Uh, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a reminder. And this is the New American Standard Version. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, when I looked at the original Hebrew, I just scratched my head and I looked at, at uh, the other uh, translations. And I, I think the better translation uh, uh, is this. So you, you have to listen. <laughs> yeah, you have to listen. They shall be a reminder to you before your God. I am the Lord your God. They shall be for a reminder to you before the Lord your God. Actually, I think that's a, that's a, that's a better translation. In other words, the trumpets will remind you of something that the sacrifices are starting and these are an announcement over the sacrifices. And uh, there's a genius to all this, uh, uh, I think. Okay, uh, So, uh, th- this is the piece to get. The two trumpets were ordained by God in part to be uh, announcements to be blown uh, over the sacrifices and that they were a reminder to the people with regard to the sacrifices. And you, and you can ask, well, what, what are the people to be reminded of? Well, the purpose of the sacrifice would be one thing, right? That these sacrifices were designed for uh, the uh, taking away of sin and of looking to the Savior who was to come. Right? And 
so uh, we have we have this uh, idea of announcement. Now uh, it's quite striking uh, that later uh, we find in Isaiah fifty-eight one uh, these uh, the idea of trumpets uh, attached to preaching. So uh, uh, look at Isaiah fifty-eight one. Isaiah fifty-eight one, and uh, this, this is God uh, speaking to Isaiah, and he he says uh, to, to Isaiah, "Cried loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet." And declare to my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. So, so the trumpet was what? It was an announcement. And sometimes the trumpet was used in Israel as a warning. The enemy's coming. Better get together. Protect the camp. The enemy's coming. And uh, here, uh, preaching is likened to a trumpet uh, warning the people. You better repent. Trouble's coming. You see, this, this would be the idea. And the other, uh, the obverse would be true too. Uh, that uh, grace and hope is also promised. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Now, uh, you can go online. It, it's pretty striking, I think. Uh, you can go online and uh, uh, look up the idea of gospel trumpet. Uh, maybe you've heard that terminology before. Uh, it was popular among the Puritans. Uh, and uh, they they referred to uh, uh, preaching as uh, the gospel trumpet. And uh, I didn't realize this until I, I, I looked it up uh, like this on the Internet. Uh, but Joel Beakey's uh, uh, radio program, Heritage Reformed, uh, church in Grand Rapids, and uh, a lot of you know Joel Beakey, who, who Joel Beakey is, has a pretty extensive ministry. Uh, his radio program is called, guess what? Gospel Trumpet. <laughs> Back to the idea of Isaiah 58.1 and uh, the trumpets of Moses. Now, uh, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 1 uh, along this same line. Then you, you go from one end of the Bible to the other. Here's, here's uh, Revelation uh, chapter 1 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. Here is here is uh, the Apostle John now uh, in his uh, vision on the Isle of Patmos. And he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice. And what does the text say? Like the sound of a trumpet. Who's speaking? Jesus Christ is speaking, right? He says, a loud voice. 
An announcement. A proclamation is being made. A voice like a trumpet. Now, uh, it's very popular in uh, some circles to say, well, there are lots of instruments in the book of Revelation. Yes, lots of instruments are mentioned in the book of Revelation. But look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10 closely. Is there an actual trumpet here? No. <laughs> there is not an actual trumpet here. It's a voice like a trumpet. And why is it a voice like a trumpet? Because it's a, a voice making an announcement. You see, uh, this is uh, the idea. And uh, what does uh, the, uh, the pastor do every Lord's Day in the worship service? Announces the Gospel. Is this not correct? And proclaims the Gospel and proclaims the truth of God with regard to, guess what? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He uh, makes an announcement, as it were, over the sacrifice, with regard to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And uh, I think this is the, the real genius behind uh, the two silver trumpets that were ordained by God uh, through Moses. See? They were not uh, instruments to be used in accompaniment with singing in the Old Testament. This is decidedly not... Uh, their purpose. They uh, uh, portrayed, and, and if you want to uh, put it this way, <clears throat> they were typological of or uh, forecast the future proclamation of the gospel over the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, this is the idea. And uh, uh, you say, well, uh, uh, Pruto. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll accept that. You can you can talk to me that way. <clears throat> uh, you're you're straining at gnats here. No, I beg to differ. This is the classic, historic, uh, biblical understanding of the trumpet. All right, that uh, I'm presenting to you. That this is the idea. Okay, so uh, the, the the trumpet, the use of the trumpet uh, here in the Old Testament is not a ground to utilize wind instruments in the uh, worship of God. Uh, I, I remember very vividly <coughs> the uh, uh, announcement of. Uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, on one occasion, when he had been at a 10th Presbyterian church in Philadelphia. And uh, as some of you know uh, that uh, James Montgomery Boyce was the, was the pastor there, and, and uh, uh, Sproul uh, preached there often. And on this occasion, uh, they had uh, playing, and I've been there when this is, uh, ha has occurred myself, 
the West, uh, 10th Presbyterian Church has a, a brass ensemble uh, that's quite good. <laughs> I mean, they really are good. They're great musicians. <clears throat> and uh, uh, they're called the Westminster Brass. Okay? Uh, uh, which is kind of ironic uh, because uh, I think, uh, by and large, the Westminster Divines would not have uh, held to instrumental music and worship. <laughs> so uh, ju just the name is uh, kind of ironic uh, in and it of itself. Uh, but uh, R.C. Sproul's comment was, just going to the worship service and hearing uh, those trumpets sound, etc., etc., uh, brings you so much closer to heaven itself. And uh, I thought to myself, but uh, 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 Dr. Sproul, <laughs> do you not actually understand the meaning of those instruments in the Old Testament? Uh, apparently not. Well, uh, he's not on the same page uh, that we are, and we understand that. But, but you see, you see the give and take that we have uh, with this sort of thing. Uh, and so, the instrumentation here, the trumpets, are not uh, musical instruments of accompaniment. Okay. And now we come to David's harps and lyres. Uh, the harps and lyres actually are instruments of accompaniment, uh, undeniably. Uh, this is the case. So, uh, uh, to begin with, First Chronicles twenty-five one. First Chronicles twenty-five one. Since I have the more modern technology, which is called book, <laughs> it takes me a little longer to get there. Okay. First uh, Chronicles 25.1, and we're going to pull with that verse 3, a, a little piece of verse 3. Uh, Moreover, David and his commanders of the army set apart for the service uh, some of the sons of Asaph and Haman and Jeduthun, who were to prophesy with lyres and harps and cymbals, and the number of those who performed their service was, etc., etc. And he... Uh, he outlines these. Now, uh, all I'm attempting to show you here is that uh, the harps and lyres were brought into the service uh, of worship by David. That's simply what I'm trying to tell you here. Okay, And uh, <clears throat> don't stumble uh, over the word prophesying. Uh, maybe I should just not mention it and, and I won't cause a stumble. Uh, don't stumble over the word uh, prophesy, who were to prophesy with higher harps and lyres and cymbals. That simply means to sound forth or to sing. And uh, 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 the end of verse 3 says, who prophesied in giving thanks and praising the Lord. Okay, uh, So a form of prophesying uh, was their singing. Uh, this is the, simply the idea. All right, So far so good? Okay, ordained by David. Second Chronicles 29. Uh, just to make sure we're not uh, uh, doing something we shouldn't be doing here, that this is uh, commanded by God. Second uh, Chronicles 29, 25, and 26. Second Chronicles 29. 
25 and 26. Uh, this, this is Hezekiah's revival of worship in Israel after there'd been uh, uh, some problems and some difficulties. Uh, he, that Hezekiah, he then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, and with lyres, according to the command of David and of Gad the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet, for the command was from the Lord through his prophets. Okay. Why was this done? This was done at the command of God. Right. So, so this is in keeping with uh, our understanding of the regulative principle. Whatever is not commanded is forbidden. This is the idea. Uh, uh, verse 26, The Levites stood with the musical instruments of David. See, this is how they're characterized, the musical instruments of David. In other words, they came into the worship of God through David. Right? This, this is what he's saying. Uh, the Levites stood with the musical instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Okay? Uh, the priests uh, blew the two silver trumpets. Uh, the Levitical priests, which were not part of the high priestly family, utilized the harps and lyres. And so when you uh, see the priests with the trumpets, you should think these are the trumpets ordained by Moses. Right? This is what... What's uh, uh, the reference is? And uh, the musical instruments of David were the harps and lyres. And it also mentions the cymbals. Now, uh, the cymbals uh, were simply announcements also. And uh, uh, similar to the trumpets, but uh, they were not utilized for uh, accompaniment. The harps and the lyres were utilized uh, as musical instruments of accompaniment. All right? So... Uh, so then, uh, we need to tie down the fact uh, that these instruments were used with the sacrifices, in conjunction with the sacrifices. Second Chronicles 29, 27, and 28. So, uh, we don't have to go very far. Second Chronicles 29, 27, and 28. So listen carefully. Then Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offering on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began. Okay. See, the singing began with the trumpets, okay, sounding the trumpets, uh, accompanied by the instruments of David, the king of Israel. The instruments of David, the harps and the lyres. Follow? Okay, so far so good. Uh, while the whole assembly worshipped, the singers also sang, the trumpet sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And uh, uh, the, uh, the idea of continued is in italics. All of this was until, and you can say took place, uh, until the burnt offering was finished. In other words, when the burnt offering was finished, the playing of the harps, Ceased, the singing ceased. Alright? All of this was part and parcel with the sacrifices. They all, it all went together as, as a package. Okay? And, uh, th this is part of what we, uh, actually do need to understand. Because, uh, when the sacrifices were done away with, 
by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This included all the instrumentation. That's the argument. All the instrumentation is done away with. And there's no command in the New Testament to continue that instrumentation. Now, obviously, one of the questions that's going to arise is, what about all the commands in the Psalms that involve various instruments that we regularly sing? Okay, hang on. Hang on. This is a place we will have to go, but you can't do everything at once. <laughs> and so we're zeroing in on this idea of the trumpets and the harps and the lyres. So this was all in conjunction with the sacrifices. And as I said, all of these things that involve the sacrifices had some kind of symbolic or typological uh, uh, reference uh, uh, attached to them. Uh, so, uh, we go to the book of Revelation again. All right? Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5 and verses 8 through 10. And, and we're jumping into the middle of a vision. Uh, what is a vision? See, uh, a, a vision is uh, something uh, which is highly symbolic and it portrays reality. Uh, a vision is something that portrays reality. It's not a picture of reality itself. It's a portrayal of reality. All right? Uh, so, uh, important for us to, uh, to uh, get that idea. So, we're, we're in a vision. All right? And uh, uh, it says, uh, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. And of course, the lamb is a reference to Jesus Christ. Christ isn't actually a lamb. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to fall down and worship a lamb. Okay? Because the Bible says we're going to see him as he is. This is a portrayal of reality. The four, I'll read it again. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. So here are these twenty-four elders. And each one is holding a harp and a bowl full of incense. Right? Remember now, this is a picture. This is a portrayal of reality. And uh, verse 8 goes on to say, "...which are the prayers of the saints." In other words, uh, the, the bowl full of incense uh, is symbolic of the prayers of the saints. Follow me? This, this is the interpretation that's given uh, in the vision. Okay. Now, uh, you have to ask the question then, well, what do the harps represent? I think it would be improper... Uh, for uh, you and I to say, well, uh, there's a, uh, 
in one hand, uh, each elder is holding a bowl full of incense, uh, which is symbolic of, of prayers. But in the other hand, they're holding a real harp that they're going to play. No, the harp is also symbolic of something in the picture. Follow me? Okay. Uh, there, there's symbolism here. Uh, so let's let's uh, put these, some of these verses together. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They sang. Saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests and to be our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So, the golden bowls full of incense represent prayer. What do the harps represent? Singing. Singing. That's the connection that's being made. Singing. See, what's the connection in the Old Testament? The harps were stationed with the Levites next to to the sacrifice. And when the sacrifice began, the singing began, and the playing of the harps began. The singing and the harps are associated with each other in the Old Testament. This is the picture in the Old Testament. Okay? And so now, uh, I think it's proper to associate the harps with singing here in the book of Revelation. Alright? Okay. Hang on. Revelation 14. Revelation 14. Revelation 14, 1, 2, and 3. We're jumping into a vision again. And then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion. See, this is a vision. This is a picture. And with him, 144,000. This uh, great gathering of saints. And uh, I think, this is my, uh, my interpretation, uh, that the 144,000 uh, is a reference to uh, the uh, uh, saints of all times, both Old Testament and New Testament. They're with Christ. And uh, whether you agree with that interpretation or not really isn't material to uh, our understanding of what's happening. Then I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion uh, and with Him 144,000 having His name and the name of uh, His Father written on their foreheads. It's like, boom. Got a st they have a stamp on their forehead. They have a mark on their forehead. They're marked people. You and I are marked too. You realize that, don't you? You and I have the mark of the Spirit. 
on us. We are marked by the Holy Spirit. And so, these are marked people. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. You hear this, this sound. It's coming. And what is the sound? And they sang. And they sang. A new song before the throne and before the living creatures. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. They know the song. They sing a new song. Born of the Spirit. This is the beauty of it. What do the harps represent? Spirit-filled singing. This is what Revelation is telling us. Like, like thousands of harps playing. Are there real harps here in Revelation 14? No. There is music and singing that's loud. And it sounds like many harps. So, I would say from this, what we learn is that the harps in the Old Testament point forward to Spirit-filled singing in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, The use of harps in the Old Testament is not a a rationale for the use of musical instruments in worship today. Now, if I had time, I would would spend a a little bit more time on this other board here. Uh, but But the idea here is we are the instruments. You and I are the instruments. See, we are to we are to sing and make melody. How? With our hearts to the Lord. You and I are the instruments that are played by the Spirit to give worship to the God of heaven. And uh, when we begin to understand this a little bit more thoroughly, and uh, we're ready to. Uh, we're ready to sing before the Lord as a spirit-filled uh, assembly and congregation. This is what God is after. This is what God is looking for, and uh, this is part of uh, the real essence of worship. And some would say, uh, and both Calvin and Spurgeon. Uh, uh, put it this way, uh, because some some would say uh, that well well we need instrumental music to help us and encourage us in our singing. And both Calvin and Spurgeon say, "Is not the Holy Spirit of the Living God in your heart 
sufficient to give you the encouragement you need to properly sing praises to God? Do you need something coming from the outside to stimulate your senses, to stir you up, to sing praises to God? Is not the Holy Spirit in your heart sufficient? See, that's the question. That's one of the questions, at least. And uh, the harps and the lyres are a representation to us, I think, of Spirit-filled singing in the congregation. This is how it's represented to us in the book of Revelation and how the harps and lyres of the Old Testament are interpreted for us in the New Testament. Okay. Uh, Questions or comments? Good thing you only have a minute or two. <laughs> Tom. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Say again? We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Yes, we, we give praise to the Lord. And uh, uh, that, that term, this is very interesting terminology. Uh, Hebrews 13 15, uh, that we give a, a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. And the. the the terminology, you see, this is what happens to us. It's very easy, and I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to point fingers at all. Uh, in that text, the term sacrifice of praise actually refers back to the Old Testament thank offering that was brought to the Lord in the tabernacle and in uh, the temple. And the word sacrifice of praise refer to a meat offering. I mean, that's the exact language uh, in uh, uh, Hebrews. And it's very striking, the connection that's made there. And in Hebrews uh, 13.15, what does the writer to the Hebrews say? The sacrifice of praise, the thank offering we bring, is what? You Remember? The fruit of our lips. And once again, the fruit of lips, what we say and what we sing is connected in this way to the Old Testament sacrifice. It's very striking, the connection that's made there. Okay, we better, we better have a word of prayer. Father, thank You for... Uh, your Word, uh, You're good and gracious to us in every respect. We thank You for this. And we ask that You'd bless us with uh, a good understanding of Your Word that we might worship You uh, as we ought, in spirit and truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.